when people have that anxiety, then they think, well, I'm not an extrovert. I can't, you know, if I'm an extrovert, I must love all people and love all things social. And I'm definitely a highly sensitive extrovert and I still get a little anxious and nervous. Welcome to the Woman Warriors podcast. You worry, I worry, we all do. If you're paying attention to the world today, there's a lot for women to feel worried and anxious about. As we explore the worries with curiosity and compassion, we learn to live more authentically and unleash the warrior within, someone who is strong, capable, and resilient, come what may. It's time to stop battling against yourself and start using your powers to meet everyday challenges with energy, purpose, and bravery. Now here's your host, Elizabeth Cush. Hi, and welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Cush, and I am a licensed clinical professional counselor in Annapolis, Maryland, with a soon-to-be coaching business coming soon. I hope that you are all safe and well. Interestingly, I spoke to someone the other day who said, I can't wait till I no longer have to say, stay safe at the end of my conversations. And I'm with you. I am so ready to feel safe in the world. When everybody is able to be vaccinated, I am grateful that I got my first round of the vaccine this week and am looking forward to getting the next round in a couple more weeks. And I can't wait till life feels less stressful. So today we have Patricia Young on the podcast. She identifies as a highly sensitive woman who is also an extrovert. and. Oftentimes, I think we associate, or I associate, I should say, highly sensitive people with being introverted as well. So she shares some light about what it's like to be a highly sensitive person as an extrovert. Patricia is a licensed clinical social worker and a coach. She knows what it's like to feel like an outcast, a misfit, and truth teller. Learning about the trait of being a highly sensitive person helped Patricia rewrite her history with a deeper understanding and appreciation and a sense of self-compassion. She created the podcast Unapologetically Sensitive to help other HSPs know that they aren't alone and that being an HSP has amazing gifts and some challenges. Patricia works online globally working individually with people, and she teaches online courses for HSPs that focus on understanding what it means to be an HSP, how to bring in more self-care, more self-compassion, create healthy boundaries, deal with perfectionism, bring in mindfulness, communication, and creating a lifestyle that honors the HSP. As you all know, after my conversation and an earlier episode with April Snow, that I too identify as a highly sensitive person, and this is a relatively new discovery for me. So I am always interested in exploring this topic more, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Patricia, and welcome to the Woman Warriors podcast. Hi, Biz. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you on. I have enjoyed your podcast so much, and I know you and I are connected in some Facebook groups around podcasting, and it's always, um, to me, it's always a pleasure to have other podcasters on, but in particular, because yours is so focused on highly sensitive people, it feels really resonant to 
my audience and the listeners. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about you and yeah, what really pushed you to focus your business as well as your podcast on highly sensitive people? Sure. I thought I was an introvert. I thought I had social anxiety. I always felt like an old soul. I was very tuned into people, really was a deep thinker. Was told I was too analytical. I couldn't take a joke. I, you know, those were the messages that I heard. And I thought it was because of my experience growing up. I was raised by a very, very anxious single mother. We've done amazing repair work, but the rules had rules. Mm. And when I learned about the trait of being a highly sensitive person, I don't even remember how I found out. It's been a couple of years ago, like everything just fell into place. And I don't have social anxiety. I'm not an introvert. I'm a highly sensitive extrovert. And as a highly sensitive person, we have really finely tuned nervous systems. And the research shows Dr. Elaine Aaron coined the trait highly sensitive person in the 90s. And what her research shows is if we had a difficult childhood, which means you had a parent that didn't get what it was like to be anxious and to worry and to care about things, we have higher rates of anxiety and depression. And once I learned that, it really helped me to reframe that when I'm concerned about something, instead of going into like, oh, I'm anxious, like this is what my brain does and what can I do to manage? And it just has made a world of difference in how I approach life. Hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that that would be a huge shift because just thinking about myself too, I think I have social anxiety. I am an introvert, but I'm also a highly sensitive person and and I get emotionally activated very easily, especially in my more so in my personal life, but everywhere. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. I can remember being a kid and we had some crime going on where I lived and I can remember practicing breathing under the covers, like if somebody broke in so that they wouldn't see me breathing. And wow. I had a hard time falling asleep and I would look at the clock like, okay, now it's 10 o'clock. And then I'd count on my fingers until I had to get up, you know, how many less hours I would get, like just very, very anxious as a child and never talked to anybody about it. I just, no, we didn't talk about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and I would imagine that the not talking about it then just left you to have to figure out how to handle it, how to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, that's and thinking that there was something wrong with me without, right. and, and not on a conscious level, which is why I talk so much about the importance of naming things that we bring it up to consciousness, even if it's resistance, that then we bring it up to consciousness. So it's there. So we're not so identified with it that we just think something is wrong with us and we don't want to talk about it because we feel like we're flawed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oof. Such a big one too that that feeling like that that it's us that there mm -hmm. is something that's yeah imperfect or wrong with us. Mm -hmm. I do believe this, of so many of the guests that I've had on the podcast who are helpers have had some form of trauma or some wounding in their past that really has shaped who they are as healers. And I was reading your website and you you very much call yourself a wounded healer. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered how that shaped what you do and the work you do with your clients. It gives me an incredible amount of empathy. I know what it's like to be, you know, I was labeled with, I was labeled, I was diagnosed with depression. I was diagnosed with anxiety. I was diagnosed with ADHD. For people that have depression and anxiety and ADHD, I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that you don't have it and that you shouldn't be medicated. I want to be very clear here. Mm -hmm. What my experience has been is 
when we have big feelings, which is how we're wired, we our, our brains are different. FMRI show that we respond more to emotional stimuli than, than the other 80%. I can talk about the four core characteristics if you want, but to know that this is how I'm wired. And if we're not allowed to talk about our feelings and we get messages about how we show up in the world as not being okay, you're too sensitive, you're too dramatic, you're too intense, you worry too much, you think too much, you can't take a joke, you should get thicker skin. How can we live fully and feel that we're okay? And because I lived with feeling like there was something wrong with me, went through years and years of therapy, and it was only until the very last therapist that I had within the last maybe four years knew about the trait. I sought somebody out that knew about the trait. None of my therapists knew about the trait of being a highly sensitive person. I think that when we go through our own healing, we become much more effective healers and we have to work on our own stuff yeah. to be effective healers. So I don't have any shame in the things that I struggle with. And one of my missions with my podcast is to let people know that there's nothing wrong with them and that we have superpowers. And I share about in my bonus episodes, the, thing that, the things that I struggle with and over the holiday season, I think with COVID, I don't know if it was seasonal affective disorder, but I'll tell you it was really hard, but my mood was really low and it was very, very difficult. And I talk about that. I talk about what I did to manage and it's not like it made me hopping and skipping through it. But I think that the more transparent and honest and authentic we can be, the more people feel like there's nothing wrong with them because we have this shiny appearance that we think everybody's got their stuff together and there's something wrong with us. And being alive is messy and complicated and we can lean into the pain and we can lean into the joy and it's a mix of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love that you share your own yeah struggles with, you know, your, your sensitivity, but just with managing it with life and all the stress that's happening right now and just in day-to-day life, because I do think it helps normalize how hard it can be. But I would love for you to share the core characteristics and also maybe how being highly sensitive and an extrovert might differ from being a highly sensitive introvert. Sure. Dr. Elaine Aaron has four core characteristics and it spells out the acronym Desert Doze. The D is depth of processing, and this is probably the key component for HSPs. If you've been told that you ruminate, you can't let things go, I don't like using that terminology, but we have a more active prefrontal cortex. So we see the broader picture. We look for the meaning of life. We look at the quality of relationships. We tend to have very strong beliefs around social justice, which why this time in the world can be incredibly painful for those of us with very tender hearts. We have a more active insula where you have more self-awareness. We really pause and reflect. And what I've learned is like what I used to think was gossiping was that when something happens, I need to talk about it and chew it over until I figure it out. And sometimes people will have something negative to say about it. And I just know that I'm going to mull until I figured something out. Mm -hmm. The next characteristic is O for over arousal or overstimulation. And this is probably the most negative part of being a highly sensitive person. And it creates a feeling of being stressed out because we get overstimulated so easily. We're taking in so many subtle details that can lead to depression and anxiety. And Ariana Smith uses this great analogy of our bathtubs fill up very quickly. And when we pull the drain, they drain incredibly slowly. And that's like how the overstimulation gets to us. We just take in so much that it can be really challenging. Yeah. 
The E is for emotional responsiveness and empathy. So we have more active mirror neurons. There's something called differential susceptibility. And if something positive happens, we are more positively affected by it. We feel more joy, more happiness. And if something negative happens, we feel it more strongly than the other 80%. So we bring more emotional intensity and empathy to almost every situation. Hmm. And so we can learn how to, if we had difficult childhoods, if we haven't learned to embrace our emotions, it can be emotional reactivity. I talk a lot about expectations and disappointments. And often I have an expectation and I don't realize it. And then when I find myself feeling frustrated or grumpy or angry, I'm like, ah, I had an mm. expectation again. I go like, oh, <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. But we yeah. also tend to be incredibly caring. We're great listeners. We tend to be the emotional glue that holds relationships together. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one is sensitive to subtleties. So things like noticing when the barometric pressure is dropping, we may have more side effects to medications. We may be more sensitive to changes in temperature. We may notice the sound of a ticking clock. We notice subtle details that others miss. We tend to be more sensitive to caffeine, to medications. We tend to not like to be startled. We don't like to watch gory things. Bright lights, loud noises, those are all things that can create a lot of overstimulation for us. Even things like fabrics, pants yeah. being too tight, shoes being too tight, things yeah. like that. Yeah, that it was, uh, looking back on my own childhood, I can remember, yeah, fabric sensitivity. I actually needed things very tight to feel secure. I mm -hmm. think that was part of, you know, if it was too loose, that was a problem, mm -hmm. you know, but just that sensitivity to things on my skin, I guess. Yeah. My, one of my sons, his shoes had to be tied exactly tight. I can't tell you how many times I had to retie his shoes. Yeah. Fortunately, I had enough composure. I didn't know about the trait then, like to do it and to not say anything, but <laughs> those darn shoes. <laughs> I was going to say, I think my mom would probably say the same thing. Damn yeah. it, those shoes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's incredible to me that like to sort of better understand it and help. I mean, for me, it helps me make sense of so much of what I was experiencing as mm -hmm. a kid, mm -hmm. you know, which is again, like, it's not me. It's just who I am. Right? right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with me. No, not at all. We tend to be creative and loyal and conscientious. We notice details in some areas, like in some areas, I'm incredibly detail oriented and other areas, my executive functioning I have to tell clients, like, I really struggle with details. And so I just let them know up front. So if I mess up with billing or forget something, you know, feel free to say something to me, but very detail oriented. Like I said, we tend to be the emotional glue that holds relationships together. We often are very good at problem solving. We're able to take different things and put them together and come up with new solutions. We're great at troubleshooting, at forecasting. We have amazing strengths. Mm, yeah. And for you, because I am definitely an introvert, like how do you see being highly sensitive and different, you know, as an extrovert? Like how does that show up differently? So you have to throw out the idea of the battery charging. And a number mm -hmm. of books that have been written about introversion include the trait of the highly sensitive person. There's a great article that Jacqueline Strickland wrote called Introversion, Extroversion, and the Highly Sensitive Person. And in her article, she talks about, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but Dr. Susan Kane or Susan Kane interviewed Elaine Aaron and Jacqueline Strickland for her book, but 
did not identify that these were traits of being highly sensitive. So we can't use the battery. As a highly sensitive extrovert, I'm good for so long being out. I need to be in a certain environment with certain people. It can't be too much. It can't be too overstimulating. Then what happens is I get saturated and I need to come home and I need to have downtime. The challenge for me during COVID and before I knew I was a highly sensitive extrovert is I thought that I got rattled being out in, in public and around people, but it was really that I was getting overstimulated. So then I would take downtime and I'd get too much downtime and then I get depressed and kind of lethargic because mm. I need to find that sweet spot of enough interaction that's the right kind for me. And then I need to pull back and have downtime. So mm. The way that we think of extroverts as being able to go and getting their energy from being out and that that's how they get filled up, it is not that way for a highly sensitive extrovert. We still need our downtime. We need to be very mindful about what that extroverting does. And then we choose to introvert. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So there, the stimulation has to be the right kind of stimulation, but two, there needs to be the time away, the time mm-hmm. to yourself, the time you still to need time to recharge, settle. to reset. And if you notice that you get depressed and lethargic and listless, listless, if you're not getting enough of that connection, you might be a highly sensitive extrovert. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I could see how that could happen. Well, I still get anxious with new things. And if there are social things, the way my brain works is generally not, I, I don't naturally go to the positive, like, oh, there's an, a, an activity or an event with people and I'm really excited to go. I tend to not want to do it. And traveling, I've just learned every time before I travel, I don't want to go. And I think about like, how much money am I going to lose? And I've learned, oh, this is that thing that happens before you do something that you get nervous and scared. And so I remind myself that I have an out if I get there, but just get there. And once I'm there, I tend to do really well. But that was what I labeled social anxiety. And mm. oftentimes I would connect with people that were just as anxious as I was and didn't really have the ability to dive in. But I would walk away thinking like, see, I'm socially anxious and I can't connect. I just was connecting with other people that didn't have the ability to engage. And I'm great at connecting and I still tend to get anxious and nervous. I just know that like that goes on and I got to walk through it. Yeah. Yeah, that this is just part of what it is about engaging gets me anxious, but once I'm there, I'm okay. Right. I and I and I through. think when people have that anxiety, then they think, well, I'm not an extrovert. I can't, you know, if I'm an extrovert, I must love all people and love all things social. And I'm definitely a highly sensitive extrovert and I still get a little anxious and nervous. <laughs> there you go. So why I have some thoughts on my own, but just the way you're describing it, sort of really understanding yourself, really understanding what it means, like what the character, how they show up in you, the characteristics, that it's important to have your mode of whatever the healthy boundaries are, but also the self-care in place to take care of what you need. But I would imagine that could be hard too, to feel validated that these things are important. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you maybe help clients create that sense of prioritization about taking care of themselves? Sure. Often when clients come to me, they don't even think that it's okay to have the trait of being sensitive. And to me, that's about wounding. If these things are resonating with you and you hate them, you probably receive so many negative messages that you don't know that who you are is a gift and a miracle and you have wonderful things to share with the world. So if that's the case, the first thing that we do is we really work on validating 
the strengths and the gifts that somebody has. And then we dial down into what were you feeling in that situation? What were you needing? What did you want to say? How could you have taken care of yourself? We often tend to be very externally focused. We're great at picking up cues. We know how we're supposed to show up, even if that's not really what is authentic to us. And the journey is really about turning inward and getting clear on what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What am I needing? And that makes it easier to go like, ah, that music is a little too loud. Can we, can we turn that down? The lights are a little bit too bright. Can we turn those down? That it's not about, oh, I have to set a boundary or, oh, there's conflict. It's about what am I needing and how can I communicate what I'm needing? And it's a process that I think comes very naturally. In general, HSPs tend to not like conflict. We like things to be more harmonious. But I think when you have that overlay of wounding with people pleasing and not wanting to upset people, again, we need to tease that out. But when we learn that my needs are really okay, then it's about just communicating what my needs are and trying to see if we can't work something out. Doesn't mean it's still not uncomfortable, but the distress tolerance is, I think, what's important. It's not about not having the trait and being like the other 80%. It's about embracing who we are and knowing that sometimes we need to be a little uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Stepping out of that comfort to ask for what might help us feel more comfortable sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I could see that too, if the message is the wounding of you're too much, you're too sensitive, you have too many needs as a child, it would make it really hard to then feel secure in asking for those things as an adult. Yeah. and. It's not uncommon for people that have childhood emotional neglect, wounding, trauma, any of those things that we're very self-sufficient. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to have needs. That's about trauma. That's not about being a highly sensitive person. And my mom lives with us. She has her own place. It's attached to ours. Like I said, we've done amazing healing. Even this morning, I often will call her when I'm walking the dog and I have this, it's an, you know, I'm 57 years old. I like, you'd think that this would be a healed wound, but like I want to call her, but then I don't want to reach out because I'm being needy and then I get home and I'm done talking. So now I don't have the need. Is that okay? I can name it with her, but it's just very interesting. I mean, this is this is where a lot of my wounding came from because mm-hmm. she was a stressed out parent. So I'm not faulting her. This can still show up for us and I know how to navigate it so it doesn't ruin my life, but it's still there. Yeah. Well, and just to... And it sounds like that the awareness of where it comes from helps you better navigate it and understand it for yourself. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, many of us have the wound of too much and not enough, that I'm taking up too much space, I'm being too intense, it's going to be too much for you, I'm talking too much. And we will also have the same wound of not enough of like, if I don't go, nobody's going to notice, my thoughts don't matter, I'm not important. That Mm. seems to be a really common wound that I find that the HSPs that I work with have, mm-hmm. and myself included. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the mm-hmm. talking too much for me that shows up a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I can be present with someone else who is sharing a lot and even being vulnerable and open. And then if it's my turn for whatever reason, you know, if, whether it's a group or just even a conversation, there's always a part of me that's showing up going. Is, are you too much? Are you sharing mm-hmm. too much? Should you mm-hmm. be quiet now? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we have that part of us that just is constantly monitoring us. Is it your turn? Is it my turn? And we often will leave a situation and then did I talk too much? Was, you know, that we kind of do that replay. 
and some of that is okay. And we can, when we've done our work, we can go like, oh, I'm doing that again. I'm going to trust that it's okay. Or, or I can do a reality check. And even yeah. with some of my close friends, we use an app called Marco Polo. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, we'll say like, oh, I don't want to talk too much, but that stuff just really can stay with us. Mm. It's manageable. And in a number of my relationships with other HS therapists, it's just kind of part of the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet. And so you personally have shifted your focus of the work that you do with clients from therapy to coaching, which is Mm -hmm. interesting to me. I'm looking to add some coaching to my business, but how do you see the work being different that, you know, if you were working in therapy with an HSP versus coaching someone who is highly sensitive? I haven't come up with a very neat definition. The -hmm. traditional definitions are therapy is about the past and coaching is about the present moving forward. That doesn't work for me because when I work with HSPs, we often do need to go back to where do we get these messages from? And there's often pain. I'm a crier. So there's crying involved. Mm. For me, coaching is about people that are functioning well enough. And, and I'm kind of my ideal client. I, I function well enough. I still struggle with stuff. I haven't mastered it all. But I have enough internal resources to stay grounded and to manage. And I really want to figure out what are the things that hold me back? How can I work through them? And how can I move forward? I tend to be very involved with my clients. I do a lot of self-disclosure that's appropriate to the client in this situation, not for the sake of just yammering about my life. (laughs) Right, right, right. And every time I do it because of my therapist training, I mean, this is a challenge that I feel like in therapy, we're told to be a blank slate. We don't have relationships. We don't care. We don't get close. I feel like coaching gives me the freedom to really have boundaried, healthy relationships with my clients. But I feel like it gives me a little bit more wiggle room to show up authentically. And because of my podcast, I've had people internationally that have taken, I I have an online HSP course that I run. I've had people internationally take the course. I've got clients that I work with internationally. What I'm doing is really, we need HSPs in the world. We're the healers, we're the teachers, we're the therapists, the massage therapists, the justice makers. We want to do our work so we can heal the world. And coaching, in my mind, gives me the freedom and flexibility to really show up in a way that's authentic for me without that worry of what I learned in school that makes me just inauthentic. And I'm not saying that you can't show up that way with therapy, but because I'm such a rule follower, it mm. makes me really anxious <laughs> under yeah. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Because I am definitely not the blank slate as a mm-hmm. therapist, but two, I feel as if both you and I that, you know, our podcasts have helped us show up as our more human selves with all of the faults and the struggles and the, the, how we get through. And I think that's, I feel like that's important for the world to hear too, you know, well, just that we're human, you know, that whether we're coaches or therapists or whatever we are, that part of the human experience, it's not always easy. Right. I think people are hungry. We're craving for authenticity and for realness and for vulnerability. And I have such a dissatisfaction when things are presented as do these five things and you won't be anxious, do these things and you won't be depressed, (laughs) that it gives the impression that we're broken and we need to be fixed. and, And if we do these things, then we won't struggle anymore. And I'll tell you during COVID, I have really struggled my ability to stay focused, to be not 
partially to be present, but to remember things. I've had brain fog. I haven't been able to read a book. And when mm. I've met with clients and we're really honest about what's going on, I, I always feel a little bit vulnerable in sharing, again, appropriately. And then I'll ask a client, how was that? And they just say it's so validating to know that they're not alone, that this is the first time that our clients and we as therapists or coaches are experiencing something very similar. And it really is an opportunity to really deepen the therapeutic relationship if your modality is to be authentic and vulnerable. And I'll tell you, mm. out of the things that feel really challenging about COVID that I've just been honest with clients, it's really deepened the relationship. I bet. I bet. Because this is such a collective experience. And mm -hmm. I think, especially now, you know, months and months later, we're forgetting that we're still carrying all this heaviness with us, you know, because we've, we've gotten used to wearing masks and we've gotten used to the restrictions, but we're still having to process, like, do I have my mask? Is this safe? Do I feel safe mm -hmm. entering this place? You know, is there a line? Whatever. Are people, other people wearing masks? Yeah, we're mm -hmm. still, we are still in it. It's trauma. We may not all yeah. be traumatized, but it's trauma. And I know for me, my hypervigilance has been like even something like walking the dog, which used to be really enjoyable. Twice a day, I walk my dog and are you going to move? Am I going to move? Do you have a mask on? You yes. Know, if I've got two dogs and you know, you're just a walker, I think you should move, but you don't know what my rules are. Yep. And then I get, I don't say anything, but I often feel really grumpy when I have to move and it's like somebody that's just walking and I've got a blind dog. Mm. So even walks can activate that sense of hypervigilance. And if you've had any trauma and even little trauma, I got pretty contracted during most of COVID because it just activated that sense of hypervigilance. Oh, definitely. I can remember taking a walk with my husband. It was, I guess, spring, you know, the weather was lovely very beginning of COVID and a lot of people were out walking because everybody was stuck at home. And he's like, what's the matter? I'm like, this is so stressful. I don't know which side to be on. I don't know whether I'm supposed to move or they're supposed to move. There's too many people. And he was like, okay, like maybe we just need to go home. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yes, I was definitely in that hypervigilant state of yeah, trauma reaction for sure. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Hmm. Well, Patricia, I really appreciate your coming on the podcast today. And I would love for people to know how to find you and the work that you're doing. Hmm. The best thing to do is to go to my website, which is unapologeticallysensitive.com. I teach these amazing online courses for HSPs. They just launched two of them. They were busting full to the seams. Mm. We talk about boundaries and perfectionism and changing the negative messages into superpowers, mindfulness, showing up authentically, creating a lifestyle that honors the HSP. But beyond the curriculum, what has really come out of these is being in a small group of people that are wired similarly to you. We're not all the same in a safe environment. Most people have not had that experience that our families of origin, we didn't feel seen and heard. As we grew up, we usually feel we're the outcast, the misfit. So to be in a really contained environment where the things, if I feel like I'm talking too much, that often I'll ask somebody, do you want to get a reality check? And they will ask the group. And inevitably, people will say, I get so much out of how you, when you share. And there's something about when your partner or your therapist reassures you, 
there is this thing in the back of your mind, like, well, you know, you're married to me or you're my partner, you're my therapist. When you have a group of people that mirror back how they see you, it is transformative. And to watch people grow and change and really come into themselves, I, it, it's one of the favorite parts of work that I do. Mm, that sounds really, really great. And I love group work and I could see how amazing that would be. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of healing each other in a way, mm-hmm. you know, together. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have my podcast, Unapologetically Sensitive. Yeah. That's amazing. So great. Well, thank you so, so much for taking some time to be with us today. I really appreciate your uh, coming to talk to us. Thanks so much for having me, Biz. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed my talk with Patricia. She is a, I don't know, she just has such a calm demeanor to me. I just love talking to her. I love her voice. I've listened to her podcast and I hope you'll check it out too. If you consider yourself a highly sensitive person, she has a lot of great resources and courses and things that you can connect with to help better support you on your journey of healing and self-acceptance and self-love. I hope you all have a wonderful week. If you want to know more about me and my upcoming coaching program, you can sign up for my newsletter at progressioncounseling.com forward slash Elizabeth's dash newsletter. You'll get all the updates on the podcast, my blog, as well as updates on my programs. Have a wonderful week. As I said, stay safe, stay healthy. Ciao for now from this woman warrior. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Woman Warriors Podcast. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guest profiles at womanwarriors.com.